Hi, my name is Amir Mamdani, and I'd like to welcome you all to The River Rundown, a podcast produced by the Harvard Crimson, focusing on the state of Harvard athletics amidst the pandemic. On today's episode of The River Rundown, I sit down with Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Brent Suter, a 2012 graduate and member of the Harvard men's baseball team. We discuss Brent's career in Cambridge, his time with the Brewers and the Miners and now the major leagues, and his passion for environmental sustainability and Earth Day. After spending several seasons in a hybrid role as a starter and a reliever, Suter has thrived this season out of the bullpen, already registering two wins and pitching to a 2.87 ERA for Milwaukee, who are first in the division. Thank you very much for joining us, Brent. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So we know you guys are, you know, in the middle of now home home series with with Miami. So we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Figured we would just talk to you a little bit about maybe start with backstory and kind of how you ended up at Harvard. There aren't that many, you know, major league baseball players that started Harvard. And I guess just hearing a little bit about maybe high school and how you ended up at Harvard would be a great place to start. Yeah, for sure. I always wanted to play college baseball growing up. It was always a goal of mine, but come junior year, it didn't look like it was going to happen. I didn't really play much my junior year, junior summer, didn't do anything spectacular. So I didn't have much interest. And then one day in government class, senior fall, I like just had this whisper in my ear to email a couple uh, Ivy League coaches. I hadn't looked in the Ivy League much, but just out of nowhere, popped in my head, sent them some videos. They, The Harvard coach got back to me right away saying, hey, we like the video. We want to see you pitch more. And at that time, my velocity was going up a little bit. So I was pitching, pitching pretty well that fall. They sent some scouts down to Florida. They had someone decommit. So like literally in the span of a month and a half, I went from not much interest to all of a sudden I had a likely letter to Harvard. and after my official visit. And it was just incredible. So grateful for that and was able to go there. And then the team had struggled the year before. And so there were some spots open and I had a bad first couple outings in fall ball, but then I was able to pitch better and uh, eventually earned a starting spot freshman year. And then pretty much kept that starting spot in the rotation in my whole college career. Had some ups, had some downs for sure. <laughs> it was not a spectacular college career by any means, but just did just enough to get drafted. And then kind of the same kind of ups and downs in the minor leagues, but was able to climb to the major leagues eventually. So it was just a crazy journey. Very grateful for it. You, you talked a little bit about the ups and downs of college. I guess kind of we're curious, like at what point did you really start to consider that major league baseball was a career? Like, was it kind of all along you'd always thought that, or it was kind of more maybe after like a Cape Cod summer or it just kind of materialized? Um, um, so professional baseball became kind of something that seemed likely to happen after my sophomore summer. I had a really good sophomore, like wooden collegiate bat summer ball season. And after that, it was, uh, seemed like a lot of scouts were interested. And then my junior year just was tanked, just had a really tough year. And so then it was like the, the professional opportunities seemed to be dwindling a little bit. And a lot of scouts want to get you after your junior year to get you in that, you know, that year before you graduate. So uh, that was that was a tough time. But then, yeah, after the Cape Cod League, I was like competing against some of the best talent in the in the nation and held my own. So I was like, OK, this this can happen again. You know, the, the dream's still alive, if you will. So and then senior year didn't have a great year, but was able to go to some kind of pre-draft workouts and pitched really well there and snuck in in the 31st round, basically. So it was always a dream of mine growing up. I loved baseball growing up, wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. my whole life. and then changed to pit more pitching probably like middle school high school but it was always a dream and then it seemed 
like pro ball was going to happen. And then it seemed like it was fading away and then it, it did happen. And just, it's been uh, crazy. I, I love, love, love what I do for a living. It's awesome. Uh, you know, we were looking at kind of the Harvard program in the years you were there. And I think, you know, I think it was kind of the last couple of years of the prior coach's tenure. And I guess I'm wondering, you know, beyond necessarily like, you know, making an NCAA tournament, which I, I know wasn't, didn't happen when you were there. Like, do you have any like highlight memories from your experience at Harvard? I know, I think was the call me maybe video while you were there. I know that's probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't in the call me maybe video, but I got to go to the today show with them. So that was really fun. My sophomore year, we made it, we were in division contention until the last day of the season. And we had a really good doubleheader sweep of Dartmouth at home that second to last day of the season. And I pitched the first game there and pitched pretty well. And it was just a really fun, really fun day. So that was one of the highs I remember for sure playing LSU and uh, losing by one run uh, was really, really fun. I mean, we, I wasn't, I pitched the next game against LSU and got my butt kicked a little bit, but the, uh, the day before we, we were right with them. I mean, and the funny thing was the LSU coach came and talked to us. It was kind of like, yeah, we got this closer. You guys probably won't see him, but he's really special. And then they ended up having to use him because they only had a run lease. So we kind of were like, yeah, but uh, no, it was, it was a really cool experience playing down there. Great, great atmosphere. I gave up one of the longest home runs I've ever seen in my life to Mikey Matuk, who's still playing. It was over the scoreboard and it was like, legendary down there i ended up talking to an lsu teammate and uh, the cape cod league who wasn't there at the time he's like a freshman when i was a uh, going in my senior year and i was like man i gave up this home run down there he goes you gave up that home run to mikey Montu. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh that was it was kind of a low but it ended up being a good, funny funny story but uh yeah i'd say that doubleheader sweep of dartmouth was like you know the high on the in terms of on the baseball side and before before kind of moving on too much to like the Brewers, I, I'm curious. Like, are you kind of like the Harvard guy in the locker room? Like, is that like do you get you carry that kind of reputation around? Like, is that a, is that a, is that like do you get jokes? Like, I'm just curious what that's like. Cause it's obviously a very unique experience. Like, like, yeah, I'm. I mean, I get some jokes here and there, but I really I got it more when I was coming up to the minors. You know, because everyone's asking, "Hey, when did you get drafted? How hard do you throw? Where did you go to school?" You know, like those are the basic questions you ask guys. So. I was definitely getting more coming up, like lower levels. As I got to the higher levels, like I've I played with guys, some guys for like weeks before they know where I went to school. So it's not really uh, much of a thing anymore. But I still get jokes from my you know good buddies and staff members I've been around for. Oh, here comes the the Hobbit, as you know, just occasional like that. But uh, no, it's it's really nothing compared to what I you know was kind of getting teased about early in my minor league career. You, you talked about that's a good good pivot point to like minor league baseball and i know you you were there for like was about four seasons before coming up to the to the majors yeah technically five se- parts of five seasons for like calendar years so got drafted in june of 12 and then made it to the big leagues august of 16 and just kind of you know we're not going to have many if any other guests who have had that experience of being called up to major league baseball i guess sure. I'd, if you wouldn't mind sharing like I don't know what that feeling is like after putting in all those years and even like going back to your uncertainty that you would play like college baseball, but making it all the way to major league baseball, I imagine that would be quite a rewarding feeling. Yeah. I mean, there were some, definitely some lows on the way up. Um, I remember my second outing, I just got hammered and my coach pitching coach came up to me and goes like, dude, why were you drafted? Like, you got to think about why you were drafted. And it was almost like, you got to tell me or else I'm going to like tell you to get released, you know, kind of thing. So 
that was kind of like my kind of come to come to you know play or go home moment um first first of those moments and made some adjustments to my pitches was able to do better and end up getting promoted later in the season helped that team win a, you know a league championship which was really cool got my instructs and the ball kind of kept really rolled after that i was kind of on that pretty decently fast pace up there to the big leagues um was in double a to start break my first or second full season excuse me and then repeated double a the next year and i got i was starting the whole year before in 14 i was starting double a and then the next year they kind of said hey we're going to make you this hybrid guy you're going to start some you're going to be relieving some and i almost took that as a demotion i was like man i lost my starting spot but i didn't know that they were kind of planning that and how much that would help me to in the big leagues be able to do both starting and relieving and so and i still kind of do both honestly been doing both pretty much every year so to be able to kind of have that flexibility trained in me back then i'm really grateful for what looked as a demotion was really a really opportunity to get better so made it up to triple a at the end of that year kind of had a chance outside chance of getting called up at the end of that year but didn't happen repeated triple a the next year had some really good t- uh, months you know a couple of bad outings here and there but was kind of just hoping for that call hoping for that call and uh one day i woke up and i missed 65 facetimes for my minor league manager and i was like oh my goodness what did i do <laughs> I, I put my phone under my laptop and uh, it was on silent. So I messed up big time, but he was like, Hey, where the heck you been? Okay. Well, you're not starting for me tonight. You're starting against the Mariners tomorrow for the big league team. And I look at my wife and she's like bawling in the bed and I'm, we, I'm just tearing up, call everybody. I remember calling my dad and being like, Hey, I'm getting called up to the big leagues. It's awesome. I'm starting in Seattle, try to get there. If you can, you can't tell anybody because <laughs> it was still like, you know, they didn't want to get the news out. And my dad was like, I can't tell anybody what, you know, my, my dad, like, loves telling people about baseball stuff. So that was, that was a really funny call, but yeah, that anyway, that next 24 hour period packing up, going to Seattle and just like, you know, the anticipation, the nerves, everything, it was crazy and was able to, you know, held my own a little bit in the start, gave up some runs late and then was able to kind of go back to the pen rather than get sent down because of that versatility. I was able to stay in the big leagues the rest of that year in 16 and then up and down a little bit in the beginning of 17. But, been in the big league sense but yeah that call up was unbelievable it was like just like crazy life experience a ton of family friends were there and just unbelievable emotions so so fun you 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 hit a perfect segue for me i was the next question was about how you've worn a variety of hats for the club and how not a lot of players like to do that whether it's you know rotating between starting and relieving and i know the last couple of seasons have been more out of the bullpen for you and I'm just wondering, like, how you've come to kind of, I mean, you kind of answered it, but just kind of how you've come to kind of, I don't know, lean into that or embrace that role for the team. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, like I said, maybe a little resistance early. And like when I first got told I was doing that job in 15, I'm just like, man, I lost my starting spot or whatever. But yeah, I've really embraced it. I see it as kind of uh, a value added that I bring to the team of being able to cover innings where, you know, just fill holes and all that where uh, other guys might might not want to or whatever. I see that as a kind of a strength of mine. So being able to start when you need, maybe set up, maybe middle relief, maybe I haven't closed yet, but maybe one day fill all the hats and close the game or something. But it's, it's one of those things like the more you embrace it, the better you can get at it. And I've really found that if you go to the mountain feeling sorry for yourself, not a good place to be. So making sure I eliminate any thoughts of like, Oh man, this is a hard job or I'm doing both. Like, eliminate those thoughts 
and just focus on uh, this pitch and helping the team win that day is the best, best thought process. You know, I think you touched on this earlier, but you know, for, for the casual fan, they're used to kind of turning on the TV and seeing guys light up, you know, hundred miles an hour, DeGrom's throwing 101 mile an hour fastballs and 93 mile an hour off speed pitches. And you, right. know, you obviously have like Corbin Burns on, on your club who can throw pretty hard. And I guess I'm just wondering, you know, as a pitcher who I feel like, you know, you're off to a two no great start so far, second one of the season against the Cubs at Wrigley, kind of like what, how you've kind of come to embrace, I don't know whether you would call it more being like a finesse pitcher or what that looks like, but obviously in an era in which you're seeing more velocity, I'm curious on how, how kind of you see yourself. Yeah. So I, I don't consider myself a finesse pitcher. Um, I don't have like the fine tuned command of maybe Hendrix. I don't have like the, you know, the effortless delivery of maybe like a, you know, someone else who throws maybe like a Burley who had that, I, my delivery is not the smoothest, you know, it's, I still kind of try to get into it, but what my, the specialty or the thing I do well is I have a little late cut on the ball that I, I like to, that's my strength. And I throw a lot of pitches off that. So I chained up, I try to get it sink in kind of the opposite direction as my cutter, like kind of a rise cutter and then slider off that. So I, the movement, I'm more of a movement kind of late movement strength is what I would say. And yeah, like I said, the, the harder I'm, you know, I'm not trying to like max effort, but the more convicted and the harder I'm throwing the ball in terms of like conviction out front, the better my movement is. So I definitely try to go out there and throw, throw hard. It just comes out at 87, 88 instead of 98. <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, watching our start, I mean, we got our starters have been killing it, but watching Woodruff and Burns go out there and just sit 97, it's a, I mean, it's a gift. Uh, they just have a gift from God. And it's incredible to watch them pitch and move the ball. And they're, and I was, we were talking about it yesterday. We're like, those two guys, not only are they the hardest throwers on a team, but they got the best command on the team. Like they're just painting the corners left and right. And it's, it's a beauty to watch. And it's fun as heck to watch in the bullpen too, because they're going, putting us in a good spot to win every time. Yeah. You know, I feel like most people, the casual baseball fan maybe hasn't necessarily heard of heard of Corbin Burns, but like, obviously the, the start he had to the season was absolutely ridiculous. He set, he set, set a record, right. For the most consecutive strikeouts without a walk. And that must be kind of yeah. remarkable to be kind of part of the clubhouse when you have a guy going that well, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's still aiming for, I think the all time record to start a season. I think Kenley Jansen has it for any pitcher, but for a starting pitcher, he broke it. His last start, it's like 40 strikeouts, zero walks. Like it's not even, it's not even a real ratio. So it's, uh, it's incredible. And yeah, I mean, what he's doing, we saw it last year, honestly, like he, he had a tough 2019 season and he came back just a different dude, like physically, mentally was just complete, completely better pitcher. And he had some good stuff before, but I mean, it would just, he took that failure and used it as fuel. And I'm just so happy for him. So proud of him, man, because seeing that development has been really fun to watch. And now he's, I, I take him in a one game I'd set him and him or Woody. I'd take them over basically anybody in the game. They're, they're, they're incredible. Yeah. You know, obviously the NL central is kind of an interesting spot because you have the Cubs kind of slightly retooling this off season a little bit. And you have the Cardinals swinging for the fences with Arenado, but you guys are in first at the moment. I guess before we move on to kind of off field matters, I'm, I'm curious on how, how good you feel about, you know, the team this at this juncture, what are we like an eighth of the way through the season and how you feel about your guys' chances in the central. Yeah, I like our team a lot. We we've got a really good clubhouse. We've got incredible talent, guys at all you know, all facets of the game that are some of the best at what they do. 
And the good thing that we've seen so far is that, you know, we've had some guys go down. We've had Yelich, Kane, Wong all go on the IL so far. And guys have stepped up either from the alternate side or from the backup roles and filled in and helped win games immediately. So that's been incredible, you know, fun to watch. And I think that the testament to those guys, but also a testament to kind of like that next man up, we're all in this together mentality and clubhouse vibe we got going. So it's a winning culture and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Before we move on to kind of your environmental work, uh, just kind of book, put a bookend on this. Do you have any, I mean, you, you talked about getting called up. That sounded awfully special. Would you say that that's your favorite major league moment thus far? Or do you, do you have anything else that sticks out? Um, um, fan favorite question. So I have to ask. Yeah. So in terms of the personal moment, there was a, there was a game in like May of 2018 where a starter went down and I was in the bullpen kind of as the long guy. He went down after like two or three batters, Wade Miley, you know, hurt his oblique, and I was able to go in there, leave his runs off the board, pitch like five innings, and uh, I hit a home run, which actually ended up being the game-winning home run off Corey Kluber. So it was just one of those like dream nights where I was like, this wasn't even, did that even happen? You know, woke up the next morning, like, was that a dream kind of thing? Uh, also had the opposite end where it woke up, was like, was that a nightmare? <laughs> but that was a dream, a good dream. And uh, yeah, that was probably my favorite like personal moment. You know, pitching down the stretch in 19, there were some fun games and all that. And, you know, last year until the end was some some good games down the stretch. But that moment in May was like just one of those dream dream moments. I felt like a little kid again. That's great. You probably weren't even expecting to get in that bat, you know, out of the bullpen. Or if rarely, I guess. you Only in a situation yeah. like that. Well, once, I mean, we our bullpen was a little bit hurting at that point. So we had some guys down for that day. So we, I knew I would be asked probably to get through four or five innings so odds are I was getting that bat so I was kind of ready for it but it was the first pitch of the inning and you're not supposed to swing at that as a pitcher but I just saw it up and put the bat to the ball and I didn't feel it off the bat and it just kept going and so it was a really cool moment really fun that's great so you were is it you studied did you study ESPP at, at Harvard yes yes environmental science and public policy right yes um, yep and so is that is that how you first kind of became involved in kind of making people more aware of the environment and how you became passionate about it? Or was it something that started be before that? Um, it was probably watching an Inconvenient Truth in 2006. My mom rented it from the library or something. We watched it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what is going on? These problems are big time and I want to do something about it. So from then on, it was on my heart to be you know, an ambassador and to learn about these issues and to try to do something about it. So I knew I wanted to study it in college. Harvard had the perfect major for me. And then being a baseball player, I've just tried to kind of spread the messaging and awareness and doing some, some cleanups some some campaigns and all that to try to get people and corporations to behave a little bit more uh, environmentally responsibly. So just trying to trying to use the platform in that way, for sure. Use it for other, other uh, issues as well that are really pressing on our, our nation, but uh, environmental environmental awareness and you know just urgency is top top of the list yeah and i mean that's extended to you know supporting different policy positions right and other things publicly you know whether it's the energy innovation and carbon dividend act or other types of things i'm curious like yeah. when you talk to teammates about this kind of stuff are you often like are you playing kind of like an educate like role educating in a lot of lights are you are you trying to convince them to kind of support these causes just curious what that process is like being in a clubhouse. Yeah. So I, I have, to, you got to hit them with some facts, you know, tell them what the urgency level is and all that. So I kind of 
say, Hey, you know, this is going on, but here's what we can do to help it. So I try to like have a hopeful tone about it and try not to judge or condemn or anything bad behavior. I just try to, you know, lead by example, always using a reasonable bottle, Tupperware, like trying to take shorter showers, all that, all that stuff, eat way less meat and then do some, some diet, other dietary stuff where people take notes like, Oh, you're not eating this night. Not like, no, I'm just based on eating chicken, turkey, and all veggies and fruits at this point and trying to limit the chicken and turkey as much as I can, but, and doing, you know, driving an electric car, doing solar panels on the house and all that, trying to get people asking questions because of your actions. So like showing, showing the actions and getting them curious is one of the better ways to do it, I think, and get some conversations going. Guys start getting curious of, worked with players for the planet and eco athletes and getting some guys on board with those organizations have been, it's been great. And then SC Johnson's partnering with Milwaukee brewers doing some upcycling campaigns and some environmental education campaigns. And I'm a uh, part of that, which is really cool. And then launched like a strikeout waste campaign a couple years ago, encouraging teammates, fans, coaches to use reusable bottles, got like 300 bottles shipped in from companies that were just like, Hey, take ours. <laughs> it was really cool. And then launched sideline and carbon trying to offset, carbon emissions for team travel and we're still working on getting some teams but i love the love the idea about it we've got the stuff in place so we just need to get more teams on board but trying to get 50 percent of emissions cut or offset by 2025 of all sports teams so lofty goal but hopefully we can do it <laughs> that's of all of all travel that sports teams take to to like on their charters etc bus yeah bus plane flights all that stuff and how new is that how new is that initiative like how long has that been around Launched it last August, I believe. So yeah, it's not even a year old yet. Worked with American Conservation Coalition, Players of the Planet, and Nature Conservancy, and the cool effects of trying to bring brought a lot of organizations together. And like I said, we got like the Mavericks Brewers on board. Some other teams we're really talking to, but we're really trying to get more and more teams involved and just get something on the website saying, "Hey, we you know sideline carbon or something like that." Get competition going between teams who can be the most environmentally friendly so we'll see how it goes but the concept's there it's just a matter of you know getting people encouraged and involved you know this 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 question just kind of came to my mind when you were talking about eating and I, i've seen you know i read articles on the athletic about how teams are so strictly like regimenting with the food that they serve their players and how they're trying to get advantages in nutrition and i'm curious if, yeah. you, if you've added like any conversations from like a sports performance perspective with anyone about like your new your diet and your nutrition and how kind of you seek to optimize it yeah 100 percent. trying to the good news is that when you eat an environmentally friendly diet oftentimes it's a very healthy diet so a lot of times like with a lot of these conversations we're going right in the same direction me and the nutritionist and strength coach and all that like, oh yeah, keep doing that. Color your plate up, way more fruits, veggies, nuts, limit the meats, all that stuff. But they still are encouraging me to eat some meat. Um, they don't really love the idea of giving up meat completely, being an athlete and recovering. So I, I we're compromised on that one where I'm doing the chicken and turkey. I love, I love chickens and turkeys as animals, but I just got, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm giving up all seafood, pork, beef, lamb, all that stuff is no longer in the diet and I feel great. And yeah, the more I eat more veggies and fruits, the better I feel more nuts, the better I feel. So like I said, it's really nice to have benefits environmentally and health wise. And they, uh, they certainly were in contact all the time about my diet. 
you know, as, as someone who, I know there are many resources out there for people, but as someone who clearly spends a lot of time thinking about this, do you have any advice for people who are like tr- trying to become kind of more eco-friendly or, or, or be more thoughtful about that stuff? Yeah. Two I go to are uh, use a reusable bottle. You'll be, be amazed at how much plastic that can save and other little plastics in your life that you can give up for in favor of reusables and give up beef. I, th- I would say is a big one that you can hit, like don't put less demand on the beef industry. And if you give up beef for at least limit your beef intake to like once a week or something like that, it could really, it goes a long way environmentally. So that's one of those are some of the heavy hitters where it's just like little action goes a long way, but also like turn off the lights using less water, putting your, your washer on cold rather than warm temperature, uh, stuff like that can go a long way as well. Maybe just to wrap up on a related note, you know, I know last week was Earth Day. And I know you're a big Earth Day guy. I saw some interviews online. Maybe you want to just talk a little bit about your passion for it and and kind of as a yearly thing. Yeah. Yeah. Earth Day is one of my favorite days of the year for sure. It's also one of the busiest. I got a lot of interviews, a lot of stuff going on. So it's really great. And I'm actually friends with the uh, Senator Nelson who started Earth Day back in 1970. I'm friends with his daughter and we've done some initiatives together and I do some blogging for and all that so uh it's been really special to have these last couple of earth days knowing you know that she's a friend so but yeah it's it's a great day i think it's really cool how it's being celebrated more and more it seems these last couple of years you know more people are conscious of it seeing more things in the news on earth day but i just want to get the message out that i think earth day should be every day <laughs> you know what i mean and my son has a t-shirt earth day every day so i i really think i mean we everything we do is based off a healthy planet where that's you know, clean water, clean air, good food to eat. And, you know, every second of the day we're spending alive is because of a healthy earth. So we got to keep it that way. So I think every day being Earth Day is the uh, the motto I want to get out there for sure. Well, um, this has been the River Rundown with Harvard baseball alum, Milwaukee Brewers pitcher and environmentalist and a not not in the Call Me Maybe video, but I hear you do some mean impressions. So we'll maybe leave that, leave that to the audience to... To Google on their own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. I'll see you later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for taking time to talk to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the River Rundown from the Harvard Crimson. This has been your host, Amir Mamdani, with guest alum Brent Suter from the Milwaukee Brewers. This podcast is edited by Zing G. New episodes release on Sundays on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.